Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. This is your host, Chaz Bear, and today's guest is Julie Kratz. Now, Julie is a highly acclaimed leadership trainer. She lends her expertise around gender equality and leadership. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how did she create a business, focus on a purpose, what were her pivot points along the way, why does diversity and inclusion matter for business owners, and what does it mean to be an inclusive leader? Let's welcome Julie. Well, good morning, Julia. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I know it's eight o'clock in the morning and you woke up probably just about now and yeah, hope you're having a good morning so far. Yeah, they will. I am. Way to start it. Awesome. We've got a lot of in- interesting things to talk about, but before we get there, let's talk a point, your company out and what do you really do for the people that don't know you? Yeah. Yeah. So my business is Pivot Point. I started about five years ago after a long career in corporate America. And we exist really to develop inclusive leaders. Um, We're all about gender equality in the workplace. And we really strive to help people understand their role in being an ally. I believe everyone can be an ally. And that means being there for somebody that may not have a voice, maybe somebody that's underrepresented in your organization or just doesn't have access to the same resources that you might. And I'm super passionate about teaching people how to engage their allies and how to be even a better ally yourself. Awesome. Do you work with specific kind of organizations or is it pretty much any organization that's interested in making them feel more in terms of their staff? Yeah, yeah. Organizations of all sizes. So anywhere from a nonprofit that's four to five employees even to large organizations that have hundreds of thousands of employees. I believe We have to meet our allies where they're at. Everybody's on this inclusive leadership journey about diversity and inclusion is important. You know, it's gotten some really good attention from a research standpoint, but organizations don't know how to make that actionable. Like how do you achieve diversity and inclusion? It feels really hard and it doesn't have to be, but it's not like a business initiative. It's not something you just do for a year or two. It's really something that you need to commit to long-term and make a sustainable cultural change around. And so that's where I come in, helping with education, helping people understand what they can do to what I call lead like an ally, be an inclusive leader so that people of all backgrounds feel seen, heard, and that they belong in the workplace. And that's when, you know, when you have that at your organization, you achieve far greater business results higher productivity, better quality levels. You just get the best from your employees. But there is a gap between where organizations want to be and where I really think that they can be. And we education and awareness are the best tools to get people there. Wow. What was your kind of pivot point from you moving away from your corporate job into starting this? It seems like something you're very passionate about, something. Yeah. So how did you create that business focus on your purpose? Yeah, it was hard. You know, I get asked this quite a bit, but five years ago when I was at my own pivot point, like I said, I'd been in corporate America. I got an MBA. I did all the, you know, check the boxes kind of things that you're supposed to do to be successful. But when I look back, you know, I was successful by everyone else's standards, not by my own. You know, Monday mornings came by and it's like, oh, I feel sick. I don't want to go to work today. Like, why do I have to do this? And 
point is funny when you compare notes with your friends. They're like, oh, I love going to work. I'm like, really? Why would you lie about that? Like, that's such a weird thing to say. So fast forward to today, you know, I really got the business started because I had a deep-rooted belief that this was my why. This, this is why I was supposed to do. This is what I was meant to do. And I was raised by a strong single mother. And unfortunately, you know, she passed away when I was quite young. But she had always told me my purpose was to help women, especially be supportive, be there. And I, I never knew what that meant. You know, it was like a piece of the puzzle yeah. I never could quite fit in. But those words, you know, would continuously kind of pepper my brain of, hmm, how could I do that? Like people don't do that for a living, right? Like that's not something I can actually do. I don't get to do the work that I really want to do. But putting it together, you know, I'm finding there is a real marketplace need for that skill set and that passion around helping people be inclusive, helping women, because women more is really the springboard to diversity. We are still far underrepresented across the globe in leadership positions. And we know when we have women and men and, and people of all backgrounds at the top leading that we have better stock returns, like better by every metric, better. And so, yeah, I got started with that purpose, that kind of deep-rooted purpose in mind. But following that passion and following the work that gives you energy, that fuels you, you know, now I'm, I'm in a fortunate position where I get to be a little bit more selective with my clients. But early on, it was like, hey, I'll work with anybody. And now I can really kind of tell in the first few minutes when you're talking to somebody, if they get it, or if this is just kind of a check the box thing, like, oh yeah, like we we'll work with you. Like we're, you know, we're looking at, you know, sexual harassment is a problem here or hey, we only have one person of a diverse background on our leadership team. We need to fix that. Like That's really not where I want to come in. I really want to come in when you, you believe that this is important, this work matters, that we are fully committed to this long-term and we need resources to get there. So it's been an evolution, but I always tell people like, follow your why. Like there is something inside you that's always been there. And you just have to listen to it. Like you have to really listen to it. it. It's there. I mean, you mentioned earlier on about the point on corporates. That's very, very common, you know. Let's do diversity day. Let's do a, a woman's day or a men's day or let's say. <laughs> and it just seems to be ticking the box. And it's, it's very, you know, earlier on, and, and, you know, no matter what business you're in, you're just trying to work with anybody. And then soon you start to realize that you start to lose that little bit of your spark because you're working with anyone. Yeah. Once you start working with that company, that people that you want to work with, that joy comes back, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. not seen long anymore. Well, and, and that's been a big learning is find your energy, right? Like really feel your energy. And what I mean by that is, you know, think about the activities when you're doing them that you actually gain energy from, right? Versus the activities when you're doing them, you're, you're losing energy. It's like sucking out of you. And there's some clients that, especially when it's the check the box clients, I leave there and I just think, what impact did we create together? It doesn't feel like this is going to last. It feels like everyone's going to leave that room and go back to the same, same behavior as before. Probably bad behavior. Versus when you leave a room and you feel like, hmm, there's a spark here. Like there's something that happened here where people have gained awareness, that people have understood there's something that they can do to be a part of this conversation. 
And that's just a totally different feeling, right? You feel like almost on fire. Like I'm like excited. Like I can't wait to dig into the next thing when I leave those kinds of rooms. And that's happening less and less. Like I, I really do believe that, you know, we're on an evolution that we we're moving past awareness in this journey that people are starting to get it and they're starting to want to be involved and there's less fear around this, but it's a journey. And, and I think with any line of work with any entrepreneur that's wanting to start something or scale something, it's that diligence, that consistency over time of your message that you really have to focus on because it doesn't happen overnight. People don't get what you do overnight. They <laughs> feel, hear from you. And it feels exhausting. Like I've told, been telling people this for five years now. How are they still unclear? But they don't know what they don't know. And they don't think about your business as much as you do either. Yeah. Unless it's one of your family members, for example, if, if a family member of yours, let's say a female family member of yours is being discriminated against or not being heard or not being paid as well or equally yeah. paid, that's when you start to listen to it. Yeah. That's what happened to very recently as well with me. So I follow football. So the female, you guys call it soccer. So the female game, I watch it and I'm like, the only, reason, <laughs> the only reason I don't follow the female football side is because I like the pace of the men's game is so fast and yeah. I'm so used to it. When I watch the other game, it's just way too slow. Yeah. Very skillful players, but difference. But having said that, now that a, a neighbor's daughter, she plays and, you know, and I want to support her and, you know, mm-hmm. now it makes a difference. That's well, it's a personally affected you. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of the key to being an ally is having somebody you can channel empathy towards that fits the greater good. The challenge with that, though, is not everybody has a neighbor girl that they can follow that's inspired by or lit that spark. But I hear this often with men in the workplace that have daughters that have had a strong female supporter, that have had a strong mother their wife has been affected by something like this. So that's kind of the spark for being an ally. And then they start to see it like, oh, wow, she was treated differently. She went in for a pay increase and was shot down. You know, I I haven't had that happen before. Or, oh my gosh, someone in the meeting said that. I can't believe that. They wouldn't say that to me. And so there's this moment of clarity of, huh, things are different. I now have been affected by it through somebody else. And then I want to help, right? And so I think it's a great place to meet our allies where they're at. So I, I love that you're on the journey too, because once yeah. you start seeing it through someone's eyes that you care about, it's so hard to unsee it. Right? I've seen this in the workplace as well, where I remember being a freelancer and we had this team of five people and the project manager was all, and one day we had, we had a conversation, we were finishing up the work and it was about what, I think two weeks, three weeks left till the end of the project. And then everybody went wherever they wanted to go next. And she mentioned, do you mind me asking how much you're on? And I said, I'm on this much. And she said, wow, I'm on this <laughs> And she's the team lead. So she's managing all these people and she's doing a lot of the legwork. And that's the moment I realized, it's not a myth, it's true. Yes, thank it's, you for it's that. True, especially if someone's doing, doing a job of a leader or, or you know, managing a team or doing something along yeah. those lines, then yeah, it's very, very unfair. I've had those experiences firsthand. But it impacts you more when it's your neighbor, it's your family, yep. it's your cousins. So you know, it's real. Like you said, it's not a myth. And the pay differential is so interesting because there's so much data out there to support it. It is, in fact, a real situation. 
but a lot of people like still don't believe it happens until you see it firsthand. And I don't know how many women have come to me as clients and in my coaching practice and said, I didn't know I was being paid less until Until I became the team lead and I knew everyone's salaries and the men on my team were making more money than me. And I mean, honestly, it happens all the time, like all the time. And there's so much bias out there that leads to this decision. It's not like companies are like, oh, he's a man, he gets paid more. Like it's not intentional, right? It's not something that people are designing systems to do, but our system has bias baked into it. And when you perceive women as caregivers and men as providers, study after study shows you are more likely, men and women alike, we're both biased, are more likely to give pay increases, promotional opportunities to men thinking that they're providing for their family versus women that it's just supplemental income or you know their primary job is really to take care of children. And so it, excuse me, it leads to this, this system where it's baked in and then It also leads to subsequent opportunities later where women miss promotional opportunities. Women are more likely to not receive those pay increases later. And so it it starts to compound. And that's how we get to a number of like 80% at a pay differential. And so it's we're slowly chipping away at it, but I appreciate you recognizing it and seeing it and acknowledging it. What are pivot points along the way? My pivot points, you know, I mentioned my corporate career it was really important experience. 12 years was a long time <laughs> and I transitioned quite a bit. So I was fortunate enough to start at a big, you know, Fortune, I think Fortune 100 company at the time, Caterpillar, big construction company and experienced many pivot points there. I was put into different roles from operations to sales to marketing. And throughout those pivot points, I got to be a people leader, which I loved leading teams, coaching, mentoring people. That was always the thing that got me most excited in my work. And after that, I decided, you know, this has been a great four years. I had the opportunity to move all over the country and there was another move in store for me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to time out this and go back to school and kind of see who I want to be when I grow up. I love education. And so I got my MBA at Indiana, here in Indiana, Indiana University. So I'm in the, in the States and I'm going to be a marketer. And so I did that for a few years and realized, no, I did not want to you know, worry about selling consumer products <laughs> at night. And it was really great information to know though, how to create a consistent message that really helps me in my business today. And so did all my people leadership experience at Caterpillar. And then I wrapped up my corporate career in consulting. And so again, a people leader, that's where I found my forte for facilitation. I didn't even know what a facilitator was, but they put me in front of rooms of people and said, hey, Julie, you know, walk them through this plan, you know, get them to agree on something, you know, and that's what I love doing today. I love walking into groups of strangers, not knowing anybody, having an unbiased filter and getting people to talk about tough stuff. You know, I can ask them the questions they don't want the answer because I don't know any better. And really getting people to align on a common sense of purpose. And so all those pivot points of my corporate career, it was like picking up these little skills that now all wrap together in my business around marketing consistency, around facilitation, around people leadership. You know, I remember what it's like to be that manager in an organization where you're hearing from the top, do this. You're hearing from the bottom, oh, I don't know how to do this. And you're stuck in the middle 
Like, what do I do? <laughs> you know, I, I want to help both, but I feel torn. And then by the way, I've got my own work to do. And so now really coming into organizations and helping those middle managers make sense of it all. How do I be a good leader? How do I coach my team? What does that even mean? How do I talk about something like diversity and inclusion that's really uncomfortable to bring up, especially if I'm a cisgender Caucasian male? And so all of these things, all of these pivot points have really led me to help organizations and leaders at their pivot points, really. Why is it, why is diversity and inclusion really would matter to business owners? I mean, they can just carry on doing what they want, right? I mean, what is it about these two key subjects that really is going to have an impact on their company? Yeah. Well, there is a strong business case for it. So there's been research, tons of research done at Harvard Business Review, the Pew Research Center, Catalyst, Kinsey and Company, I can name all of them. We're certainly happy to link those in the show notes. Tons of studies out there that show diversity and inclusion when you have diverse and inclusive teams. And this doesn't just mean race and gender. This means people with diverse experiences that have had different types of experiences that they can bring to the table to inform better decisions. And that's exactly what happens with diversity. You have more innovation, you have better decisions being made, more holistic ideas that are more resonant with customer base. You know, if you're making decisions at the top and you look a certain way and behave a certain way and you're different than your customer base, that's a problem. Like that's a disconnect, right? You're not going to make the best decisions that your customers are going to like. And so when you have diverse perspectives around the table, you have better ideas, better decisions. And most importantly, for-profit companies have higher profitability rates. Study after study shows anywhere from a 15 to 30 plus percent higher profitability rate compared to their industry peers when you have diverse and inclusive teams. So I like to say, it, you know, it's not a nice to have, it's a must have. But you're right. A lot of organizations are like, oh, that's something we'll get to later. Oh, that's a nice thing to have. That's a nice thing for us to talk about. And it's, it's, that's really not the case. This is something that's critical for your long-term success. You know, here in the United States where I live, we're really, you know, coming at a point where a pivot point <laughs> where cultural diversity is going to shift to a certain level here very soon where we're going to look very different. And if you're at the top of your organization, it looks completely different, you're just going to be out of touch, right? You are going to be behind. And so it doesn't happen overnight. You can't just go out and be like, oh, I'm going to recruit the best diverse talent. You have to have a diligent long-term goal around this and focus to get there. And so organizations that get this now are ahead. And it's going to be hard to catch up to the when I think about the ones that get it here in the States, you know, companies like Salesforce, JP Morgan, McKinsey, um, a lot of the consulting companies are doing things now so that they're ready in 10 years when things start to shift and they don't have to play catch up then. And they're going to be at a strategic advantage, right? From a talent perspective, from an innovation perspective. So yeah, it, it matters. <laughs> and you can do simple things today to start to speed up that process as well. It doesn't have to be hard. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Looking at it from that perspective, I uh, something interesting happened before this episode. We were talking, and as I mentioned, I came back from holiday. When I go to the markets, I always look at how different 
the traditional shops and traditional business owners and what they do and how they do in London and America and probably most of the Europe as well, that the world's catching up, but pretty much everything's online. I hardly go to the shops now. And how they communicate with you and how they bring you into their shop and ask you about you, your family, where you're from and build that connection. And then at the end, they'll drop something. Hey, do you want to buy something that you'll remember with you? And I have, no, I'm not, I didn't want to buy anything. And I thought, listen, I'm going to get this all the way on the high street. So I said, you know what? I'll give you something. You'll you love it. And he gave me a game of backgammon. And then, you know, he said, you know, here you go. And uh, he said, this is very popular in Turkey and this and that. And, you know, and I ended up buying it. Like, <laughs> it worked. And then you're right, when, you, when you come from different backgrounds, and I've seen this being a freelancer myself, working in different companies, when you see people from different backgrounds and how they approach things and look at things and bring in that, it makes a massive difference. Mm-hmm. how yes. someone's coming in. You may not agree with them, but they have an idea that you're like, mm, that's a very interesting idea. But most of the time it's shot down because this is the way we do things and that's how you're going to do it. And those organizations, you know, you can see they have a lot of, they have a very high staff turnover. And that's they very do. common. That's something I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're not listening to your employees, right? I mean, it's a very primal thing for humans to want to be seen, heard, and feel like they belong. We are a tribal species. We are meant to survive in groups. And so like what you're saying with the, the shop owner, getting to know you as a person, right? And not with the intent to sell you something. You know, we don't want to do diversity and inclusion or you know, listen to your employees just to, again, check that box. but when it comes from a really genuine place and people feel connected to you, it's totally different. And sorry, you can't say no, you have a more influence on them. Right. They feel included. Right. And, and it sounds silly, like, oh, people want to feel included at work. Like, well, yeah, yeah. And you're going to get your best work out of people that feel included. And I can tell as soon as I walk into workplaces, the cultural, the vibe and the, the cubes or the office space. I mean, you can just tell if everyone's got their head down and it's quiet and, you know, people have these meetings and then there's the meeting after the meeting. I mean, you could just tell the bad behavior, right? You've seen it. But when you walk into a workplace where people are collaborating openly, where people are respectful of one another, where people feel they take an effort for you to feel at home as a guest, and ask you about yourself and want to get to know you as a person first before doing business, it sometimes feels like a wasted effort to do those things. Like, oh, we're just here to get the work done. But I think what you find is the work is so much better when we're together in the process and you're building trust. And it leads to a much longer term relationship where you can really build something special instead of just these short term, you know, accomplishments or initiatives. I mean, that's why they like stuff, you know, your Google, your Amazon, your Facebook are so one of the best employers to work for. You know, they have this culture, they have this, mm-hmm. this base around the world and where people are, they get something crazy. Like, what was it? I was reading a book and they said, Google gets something like a million applications for a, uh-huh. for a job, something crazy like that. You uh-huh. know? So yeah, yeah there, there's a reason. I mean, these employers, they get it. And really focus on it. People want to work for them. They want to be there, right? Versus I work with a lot of companies who are like, we just can't find diverse talent. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I just laugh because I'm like, well, you're not looking very hard then. But also you're going to the same places expecting to find different things. Like that's just like the definition of insanity. 
You need to diversify where you're going. And you need to also build an inclusive culture along the way so that when you do have diverse talent there, that they feel seen, heard, and that they belong. And most of the time, come in and it's like, oh, that's a great idea, but we don't do things that way. Or, oh, no, we've already tried it. No, thanks. Like, forget it. I'm out of here in a year. And so then people come to me and say, well, we, we've really recruited hard, but we can't keep them here. It's like, okay, well, let's think about what's going on culturally. And a lot of it, it goes back to that manager who somebody reports to if they're not being inclusive and they're not promoting these behaviors that we've been talking about, then there's no way someone's going to stay there. You're going to have attrition problems. So it's, it's really does bode long-term results, like you said, like a company like Google or some of the ones that I've mentioned to really commit to this long-term and develop these skills internally so that you can, you can not only recruit, but retain that best talent. What you just mentioned, what does it mean to be an inclusive leader? Yeah, we call our program Lead Like an Ally. And it's all about developing everyday inclusive leadership behavior. So I've done a ton of research on this. I've written books about it, built an online training program about it. And the key skills that I've found is that you have to, first of all, be self-aware. You have to know who you are and how you show up as a leader. And that means your strengths, your weaknesses. Like you have to really think about who I am and what kind of ally I want to be for others. And how do I want to listen to others, for example? How do I want to be vulnerable to really be my best self and to build trust? Emotional intelligence. How do I manage my emotions and the emotions of others? Because these things can get kind of like heated, tough conversations. How to be comfortable being uncomfortable. (laughs) How to manage your own bias and the bias of others on the team. You know, there's gender bias, there's racial bias, there's, there's bias on anybody that looks different than you or behaves different than you. We are wired to kind of insulate ourselves with people like us. And so that becomes a problem for diversity. And the only way you can manage it if you manage your bias and also manage the bias of others. And so calling out you know, negative behavior that you might see, for example, underrepresented people, women, people of color are much more likely to be interrupted in meetings. They're much more likely to have their idea taken credit for by somebody else. They're much less likely to get those promotional opportunities. And all of this is backed up with data. But I I say that because our allies, inclusive leaders, they see it and they say something. You know, they don't just stand by and be like, oh, that was awkward. Instead, they engage in these tough conversations. And so I really give people tools to help them understand okay, this is who I want to be. This is who I am and this is who I want to be. Let's work on skills and bite-size it so that they can get there and really achieve, at the end of the day, inclusive leaders, when you've really achieved something, you've built a system around you where other people are being inclusive and it becomes the cultural norm, right? It's, it's a shift that I'm going to take the first step and the other people are going to follow and it's like dominoes. Then we're all operating this way and it becomes kind of that cultural default. And that's when you start to see sustainable systems where everybody's leading like an ally and this becomes the way we behave. But far too often in an organization, there's pockets of it, you know, if you're lucky or one or two. And I worked with a client here in town and they said, I asked him, I was like, so what's an inclusive leader? They gave me those basically the same attributes I just gave you. And then I said, well, who's doing that here? And they're like, well, they had one, but he just laughed. I was like, well, that's telling. (laughs) 
but that's a problem. And so I would offer to your listeners, you know, especially if you're inside an organization, ask yourself, what does an inclusive leader mean here? What does it mean to be inclusive? And, and who's doing that? And if you can't come up with more than five people, <laughs> depending on your, your organization's size, like that's a problem. In your opinion, do female make better leaders than men? Oh, I hate questions like this. <laughs> I, I actually, here's why I ask this, because the list of things you just mentioned, I personally feel and believe if I, I worked under both and female leaders are more aware, mm-hmm. they are more, they feel a bit more inclusive than the guys do. Mm-hmm. Unless if it's a male leader, unless you're going out with them and bonding and drinking and all yeah. of that. Yeah, that's what makes it more inclusive. Whereas with the, with a female leader, that's not a lot. But they're more more self aware. They're more they're better listeners. They're more yeah. compassionate. Yeah, and all of that. Do you think they make better leaders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate. It. I was teasing. Yes and no. So actually, the attributes you were just describing about listening, collaborating, like kind of forming those relationships. Women are not naturally better at that. We have to be better at that. We're socialized to be better than that. There's actually no scientific evidence to show that gender leads to these things. However, from the time we're little bitty people, we are told, oh, you know, make sure everybody else is happy around you. You know, don't push too much. Don't be bossy. You know, these types of things are told to little girls. Boys are told the opposite, right? Oh, boys will be boys. Oh. You know, he's just playing around with that and and it's okay for him to take risks and and do things. So fast forward to the workplace (laughs) and these behaviors show up. And so women are more likely to collaborate, listen. Men are more likely to express confidence and take risks. And so it's almost like undoing some of those paradigms because the problem becomes for women, especially this happened to me all the time, I would get feedback, Julie, you're too pleasing. You know, Julie, you need to work on your confidence. In the corporate environment, when I'm playing by rules that were all designed by men for men to succeed, that skill set, that behavior I've been told my whole life is no longer helpful. Then I have to kind of cover a part of myself and pretend and kind of be dude up, be more masculine to kind of fit in. And so I found myself in corporate environment. I mean, I'm not even kidding. I was wearing steel-toed boots that were men's shoes khaki pants that were basically like a men's version <laughs> for women, <laughs> polo shirts, corporate gear that they didn't even make women's sizes in. I had to wear my hair back, jewelry off. I mean, it was like I was a man. And so that's not helpful because I'm not being my full self, right? I'm pretending to be a different version of me. And so to answer your question, I think there were absolutely attributes that I brought to the table and I see women bringing to the table of fostering collaboration, of listening, of being more emotionally intelligent. Studies have shown women do have a higher level of emotional intelligence than men. However, it doesn't make us more effective because men are leading most organizations at the top. And so those behaviors, I don't feel like are really reverend or modeled. And so women feel torn. Like, well, do I keep being the way that I know to be? Or do I really get more aggressive and assertive like my male counterparts will. And then (laughs) we have not so nice names to call that behavior too. So it's kind of like this, they call it the gender tightrope. You're kind of balancing between one and the other. And no matter what, you're not, when you're forced between those extremes, there's just such a tighter, tighter lane for women to walk. 
you're not being your best self. You're not being your best leader because you're not being authentic to you. So I think, again, when we can let all voices be heard and and people be seen and, and listened to in a way that feels authentic to them, like inclusive leaders do, that gets thrown out. And then it's less about male and female leadership styles. It's about you and your leadership style and how you want to lead. And that, that's where we really thrive, where we can be our full selves. You mentioned one thing very interesting earlier on. You said the balance between male and female will be more balanced around 2080. So what's your vision in the next few years for you? You know, how can you change that? I mean, your work and you're doing something very impactful, something very important. A lot of people are not aware of it or want to ignore it or haven't come across it yet or hasn't impacted them in some way, shape or form. Yeah, yeah. The statistic you're referencing is the best statistic out there around gender equality being, you know, the year 2080 is a, a good forecast for when that might be achieved. Unfortunately, the latest data is 208 years we're away. There's a really cool campaign. I know it's, it's mind blowing, right? Like, oh, okay. Not even like my daughter's daughter, like you were talking like great grandchildren. So it's troubling. There's a great campaign out there that Melinda Gates is doing around gender equality. Can't wait. I encourage your listeners to check it out. It's a great video series and they make it fun. You know, I like it. They're not poking fun and they're making a joke of it, but it's like really 208 years. So what can you do, right? I mean, that's a troubling statistic and it certainly keeps me up at night. But we're here now. We've got to meet our allies where they're at. And I think, you know, we all have an opportunity to step up and get curious about this. You know, if you don't know a lot about it, just get aware, you know, check out some of the resources that I've been talking about. There's fantastic documentaries on Netflix and all over the web if you Google search these things. Here in the States, it's the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage, the right to vote in 2020, for example. Oh, wow. I mean, it's only been 100 years. Isn't that wild? You think about it, our, our grandparents, many of us, that if we had grandparents that are alive, when this happened, you know, I mean, that's just wild. And so we have a long way to go. So increase your awareness, number one. Check out some of the statistics I've referenced. Your know, Harvard Business Review has done countless studies over this print one of those off and take it into your workplace and share with people, hey, not only is are we not as diverse as we could be, but guess what? We're missing out because there's all these great business results associated with it. If your leadership isn't on board, that's really hard data to run away from and be like, no, we're good here. <laughs> so get people aware. Once you're aware, get other people aware. And then if you see something, say something. You know, I mentioned some of the behaviors, especially that happen to underrepresented groups like women and people of color. If you see someone get interrupted in a meeting, if you see someone left out of a discussion, if you see somebody make an assumption about somebody that's not true, you know, just educate them. Like, how do you know she doesn't want that promotion, right? Does she tell you that? Uh, Just because she has small children doesn't mean that she doesn't want to travel, for example. So when you see something, just recognize it and ask people, Hey, what do you mean by that? I'm curious. Or, hey, someone was still talking. Can we please go back to them? So these microaggressions, these little tiny subtle things that feel insignificant are a really big deal. What underrepresented people will tell you is, yeah, it's not the one thing. It's not the one interruption that happened to me today. It's the 12 things that happened to me today. And I'm on my own curiosity journey. You know, as a um, white woman living in the United States, you know, I have a lot of privilege of my own and, and how can I use my own privilege to help others? 
And that, that's been a really important vantage point for me. I'm having conversations all the time with people about increasing awareness about this. And when I see something, I say something, you know, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable, but I find that since I'm aware, I can help other people be aware of things. And then the other, the last piece of this is, is this education process is it's a commitment. And I think this is why people refrain from it. They don't engage because it's a journey. It's not a destination. You don't arrive (laughs) in being inclusive. It's constantly changing. And so keeping a pulse on it, right? I'm a better person for paying attention to these things. It's helped me with my family. It's helped me just feel happier the more inclusive I've gotten, but it's been a full-on commitment. And so educate yourself, get aware, help other people be aware call out those microaggressions I talked about and, and commit to it, you know, long-term. It doesn't have to be a full-time job by any means, but, you know, I'm in this head deep, <laughs> so I'm spending time at all the time. But people that just, you know, go to a place where usually don't go to. The example I use here is go to a church that's in a different part of town that probably has, you know, a different attendance than you. Even if you don't agree, you know, you're not a religious person, you'll learn a lot through that experience. So spend time in places where you don't spend and you will on the other side of it be better. You will be better at work. You will be better at home. You will just be a better human overall. (laughs) Awesome. We're coming towards the end of the show. So what would be your final words to the audience? Oh, geez. I think I just got on my soapbox. So (laughs) (laughs) if you're curious about this, I promise you, while there is a lot to learn and there will always be a lot to learn, it doesn't have to be hard. And so really do um, check out some of the resources I've talked about. I do have a page, Lead Like an Ally is my new virtual leadership, inclusive leadership program. So it's designed just with five minute videos and you know a workbook page that you go through and build out your ally plan and learn these skills that we've been talking about. So I'd encourage you to check out leadlikeanally.com. But I'd also encourage you, if nothing else, just think about the question I love to ask my audiences when I'm speaking and training is, you know, why does diversity and inclusion matter to you? Why? And just think about that. Does it matter to you because you shared your experiences of people you've seen, things that aren't right happen to, for example? Do you have somebody close to you in your life that's underrepresented? And channel whatever your why is. Maybe you just believe it's the right thing as a human. Dig deep on that and connect with a personal why. You know, I shared my why early on in the episode with my mom, and that continues to fuel me every single day um, and my daughter. And so that's really my why, the legacy for my work. And once you know your why, just having that in the forefront of your brain, you're more likely to do things that align with that why. And then you can think about like, what, you know, what kind of ally do I want to be? You know, maybe I want to mentor somebody that's different than me. Maybe I want to provide sponsorship to somebody that's different than me. Maybe I want to coach or advocate whatever role you want to play. Think about how you can play that role and who you can be an ally for. And what I know to be true about our allies is they are better because of it. Like they, they will tell me they got more out of that relationship by mentoring somebody different than them than the mentee did, Right. And so you will get better. Don't do it with that intent. (laughs) But you tend to find that positive karma in these relationships and and just overall personal growth that's unparalleled compared to other experiences. Awesome. 
And what's the best place to connect with you on social media? Next pivot point. So that's my website. That's my Insta handle. That's my Twitter feed. The, where I'm most active is LinkedIn. So Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z. Check me out there. I post every single day. So I'll be posting this episode in the, in the coming days. And yeah, I love talking about these things. So I always share little nuggets, little stories, little tips every day. So yeah, be sure to follow me next pivot point. Awesome. Thank you so much for connecting and coming on. Yep. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun with your host, Jasper. If you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Also, make sure you to visit www.jazzbearaurora.com to access the show notes. And if you are thinking about uh, starting your business, then take our Escape the 95 survey to see if you're ready. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.